Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It is a great blessing that we may be here again to join together in worship of our trying God. A hearty welcome to all who are present here and to all those who have joined us via the live stream. May the preaching of the gospel message direct our hearts and minds in faith and trust to our Saviour Jesus Christ and cause us to live our lives to the praise of him. Consistory has the following announcements. The consistory is elders only. We'll meet tomorrow evening, the Lord willing, at 8pm. Dylan and Alyssa Atkinson, with their two baptised children, Harley, Lee, Harley Joe and Callan, have requested an attestation to the Freeform Church of Launceston. We wish them God's blessings in their new congregation. And a couple added announcements from this morning. We are advised that Reverend Klein, currently serving in Port Moresby PNG, has been called by the Freeform Church of Comet Bay. And finally, Reverend Poppy has been called by the Free Reform Church of Carter Brook to serve as their minister. We urge you to, con to continue to pray for our minister, his wife and family, as they consider this second call along with the call to Albany. This afternoon, we once again welcome Reverend Poppy back to lead the worship service. Before we commence, let us sing together from hymn 34, verses 1 and 4. Please rise and let's worship the Lord. As God's people, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's now sing a song of praise. We're going to sing together from Psalm 93, the verses 1 and 4.
The way we share in Jesus Christ is through faith in him. Let's make a profession of this faith, and this afternoon let's do so with the words of the Apostles' Creed as set to music in hymn one. Let's pray to God and let's ask God for his blessing. Almighty God and Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, that once again on this Sunday afternoon you call us together into your presence. Lord, it is your joy to have fellowship with us as your people. That's really an amazing thing to us because you are the holy God. You're the almighty God. You're enrobed in majesty. You're seated with, with strength with equity on your throne in heaven. And you have a beautiful relationship within the Trinity that is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You have everything that you ever need. You didn't make us in order because you needed us, but you made us because you want to love us, because you want to reveal yourself to us, because you wish to, to enter into a relationship with us. And the most amazing thing, Father, is, is after making us that we rebelled against you, we didn't listen to your command, but we, we decided to transgress that command. And we brought your curse upon ourselves. And yet you were not willing to leave us there. You still want relationship with us. We're so grateful for the, for the gift of your grace and for the mercy that you show to us. Thank you that you sent your one and only son in order to restore us in relationship with you. And thank you for the richness that we have in Jesus Christ. Father, we praise you that that through him, that we can be restored, that we know you and love you, that we understand even, even better the extent of your love for us. And we pray then, Lord, that you would help us 
that we show our love to you. Help us to worship you also this afternoon. Grant that we do so with glad and sincere hearts, that we seek to praise you and honor you, that we adore you, that we thank you, that we give to you, that we sing to you, that we show you how much love we have for you in our hearts. And then, Father, we pray that you'd also help us to live out of that, that in everything we do, that we day by day and hour by hour, that we live for you, that we depend upon your help, and that we use what we have to honor and to glorify you. Please give us your Holy Spirit, Lord, so that we can live in this, this intimate relationship with you. This afternoon, we're hoping to open your word once again to hear about the, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and the blessing that you give through him. Thank you for sending Christ into this world. And thank you for the riches of your grace in Christ. Thank you that death had no hold over him, but that he overcame death and that he is able to do that for us as well. Please strengthen us through the preaching. Give us faith in you. Give us an understanding how to live with you. Please do these things, Father, for Jesus' sake. We thank you that, that Christ has opened the way for us to talk to you. Thank you for being willing to listen to us. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, this afternoon I may preach God's word to you concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the benefits that we receive through Christ's resurrection. In connection with that, I'd like to read one passage of scripture with you, and that's from John chapter 11. I invite you to open your Bible with me. In the guest Bible, it's page 1066. We'll read together John 11. So John 11 is coming near the end of the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's been serving for three years, and he's really coming right to the end of his ministry. And on that occasion, then the scripture says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go, up, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought, he meant taking a rest and sleep. And Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. 
Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. But when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there'll be an odor, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered counsel and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. Do you not understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish? He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one 
the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer publicly, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim. And there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. So far. Let's now sing together, brothers and sisters. We're going to sing of the power that Christ has over death and the help he gives his people. Psalm 116, verses 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5.
This afternoon, I preach the gospel concerning the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and the benefits that we receive through Christ's resurrection. I'd like to do so this afternoon by looking at what the scripture teaches as it's also been summarized for us in Lord's Day 17 of the Heidelberg Catechism. You can find that on page 531 of your book of praise. There's one question and answer there. The question asks, how does Christ's resurrection benefit us? First, by his resurrection, he has overcome death so that he can make us share in the righteousness which he has obtained for us by his death. Second, by his power, we too are raised up to a new life. And third, Christ's resurrection is to us a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection. Then after the proclamation of God's word, we're going to sing together from hymn 67, the verses 1, 3, 4, 5, and 7. Dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the greatest kindnesses of the Lord our God is that he invites us to know him and to live in relationship with him. And if you get to know God, if you read about him in his word, and if you, you look at how, what he's made in his creation, then one of the things that stands out about the Lord is that he is a God of life. There is this abundant life that comes from him. When he first made this world, then he created this world, and he called all these different things into being within his creation. And there's three occasions in Genesis 1 in which he also tells different parts of his creation to be fruitful and to multiply. So he says that first to the fish of the sea, and then to the birds of the air, and then also to, to people. So you remember that, that phrase about the fish? It says that the Waters were swarming with swarms of swarming things. That's a really fancy way of saying that the, the oceans were filled with huge schools of fish and all these other creatures. And then the Lord says the same thing for the birds. He calls them to multiply on the face of the earth. And you've seen the videos of these you know, millions of birds, these huge flocks of birds. Apparently we... We've never been able to see this, but apparently the, um, one of the greatest examples of that is the passenger pigeon in North America. So they reckon back in the day that they used to have between three and five billion passenger pigeons. But then what started happening is, is over the course of the, the 1800s, they, hunt, they used to hunt them. Decade after decade, there were millions upon millions of these birds that they hunted. This is something that the locals spoke at the time, that there were so many of these birds that when a flock would fly over, that literally the sky would go dark, and the sun would be darkened because of the huge clouds of birds. Well, it's a picture of the glory of God, of the abundant life that he gives. But then the scripture says that we wreck that, Instead of loving God, instead of walking in relationship with him, we rebelled against him. And so instead of sharing in his life and in the abundance of that life, we brought upon ourselves the curse of death. 
God told Adam right up front, he says, whatever you do, he says, don't sin, don't eat of that tree. Because he said, the day you eat of it, you will die. The curse of sin is death. And that's exactly what happened. Adam ate from the tree and he brought death upon himself. And the sad reality of the world is, is since that time, there's so much of the curse that affects our lives. Sin leads to hatred and violence, to horror and pain, to estrangement and death. Well, that's what we chose. We chose for curse instead of blessing, for estrangement instead of communion. You know, in a sense, maybe the, the passenger pigeon is, is a good picture. It's a bit of a symbol of what we chose. We used to have literally billions of these passenger pigeons that would fill the skies. Well, everybody had a free meal. And so they were, they were hunted by the millions, decade after decade. Well, by the 1870s, the numbers started falling off a cliff. And by the 1890s, there were no passenger pigeons around anymore. And the very last passenger pigeon died in a Cincinnati, view, in a Cincinnati Zoo in 1914. And so they became extinct. This bird that once had billions, came down, as far as we know, to nothing. Well, the Lord's not willing to leave it there. He hates death. He's deeply opposed to it. He's a God of life, and so he loves to overcome the curse of sin. And the most foundational way in which he's done that is through the death and through the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. Christ endured the curse, and by doing so, he secured life for all God's people. And so I preach to you God's word this afternoon with this theme, Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. We're going to see in the first place the need for the resurrection, and then secondly, the gift of the resurrection. Well, if you wish to, to understand the nature of God, brothers and sisters, if you wish to understand what he thinks about life, and also how much he treasures and values that. And it's good to, to look at the opposite. Teachers often do this. If you want to understand this concept, then you need to know that it's not that. And the not that is not death. When you read through the scriptures, the Lord is fundamentally opposed to death. As a God of life, he doesn't allow death to come into his presence. When you read through the laws in the Old Testament, then one of the foundational themes that runs through the law is that the Lord teaches his people to stay away from death, especially if they're going to come into his presence in order to worship him. And so we have these laws for the people with regards to clean and unclean. And it seems that one of the most foundational themes that runs through these laws is that he says anything that's associated with death is unclean. And if you touch those things, or if you're involved in those things, then you need to stay out of my presence. Well, one of the ways you see that is with the animals. Most of the unclean animals are somehow associated with death. They're often the scavengers or the predators. Or skin diseases, they rendered a person unclean because they make a person waste away like a corpse. Or sometimes you have bleeding or bodily discharges. They... They represent the loss of life and strength. It seems to be a movement towards death. And so many scholars think that that's the reason why those, you know, if you have 
bodily discharges. If you have bleeding, then you're not allowed to come into the presence of God. And the same thing happened for the priests. If you had any priests who had imperfections, or if you had any animals that were blemished, then they weren't the, the picture of life. And so they're not allowed to come into God's presence. Or if you have a priest who was serving in the temple, and the Lord said to the priest, he said, you are not allowed to have contact with, the, with anyone who's dead. So if you have a dead relative, if you have someone who died, you're not allowed to be a part of that funeral while you're serving in the temple. You have to finish your service, and then you're allowed to attend to the dead. And for the high priest, he said, you're never allowed to be involved with a funeral. You represent me. You come into my presence, and so you're not allowed to be associated with death. In a similar way, the Lord also forbade his people from engaging in necromancy, from having contact with the dead. He's a God of life. He has nothing to do with death. And so he says to his people, he says, he says, the only way that you can come into my presence is if you also are not tainted with death. Well, it's the ultimate curse on sin, brothers and sisters. When Adam was in the Garden of Eden and God warned him, it was Genesis 2, verse 17, he said, do not eat from the tree the day you eat of it, you will die. And Paul picks up on that. He, he talks about it. He says, the wages of sin is death. That's the curse. It's the final judgment that God brings on sin. And, you know, we know that not just from the teaching of Scripture. We also know it from personal experience, brothers and sisters. If you know someone, you love someone, and when that person dies, but you know in a, in a really personal way, you know, that this is not the way that it was intended to be. God made us for life. He made us for fellowship. He made us for communion. And death breaks that. It puts an end to that. It estranges us from the person. And so if you're a widow, you go home after the, the death of your spouse, then for the days and the weeks and the months and the years after that, you really often have this sense that this is not the way that God intended life to be. And you see, especially... When young people die, we've had it a couple times here in our churches the past number of years. We had Leticia Brower, and then more recently Jamie Grossma, who passed away. And you speak, especially to the young people, it's a real challenge of faith for them to come to grips with the fact that, that their friend passed away. And deep in their heart, they have, to, they have to come to grips with that. They have to understand the providence of God, that the Lord has providence and that he, he has the power, and he is sovereign, and he's allowed to make that decision. But deep in their hearts, it's also really difficult, because they know that this is not the way that it was supposed to be. Well, it's in this context that you see the grace of God, because he knows about the horror of death. He knows how close it touches us. He understands that we can't save ourselves. And so he sent his son to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And the most amazing thing is that when Christ came into this world, then he showed his power right at the beginning of his ministry and during the course of his ministry, because whenever he came in contact with something that would have made him unclean, then the opposite happened. Instead of him becoming unclean, the person whom he talked to became clean. And so you have a number of these occasions where he comes in contact with different people. Have, for example, this woman who, who had this flow of blood. So she was unclean. 
And if she touched Jesus Christ, then by rights, he should have been unclean as well. Everyone who she touched would have become unclean. But Christ had this power within him that, that when she touched him, then immediately she was healed. And so his power flowed into her. She shared in his, his holiness. And so, and so instead of him becoming unclean, she became clean. She was healed. You have the same thing that happened with the leopard in Matthew 8. You have this leper who comes up to Jesus, and Jesus touches him. He physically touches a leper. Well, no one would ever do that. But it's when Jesus touches him that the man is healed. And so the power of the Lord Jesus, he shows his power over death and over those things that lead to death. And you see it even more, exa- more dramatically in the situations where he, he heals those people. He brings back to life those people who had died. You have this widow who's she was deeply in distress. She had an only son and he had died. And the Lord Jesus, he comes up to the bier and he, he stops and he, he stops the procession and he calls out to this widow and he, he raises her son back to life. It was, a, it was an incredible thing. If you imagine, like, you know, we read that and we're kind of like, yeah, this happened. But if you actually imagine being there, if you try to comprehend that something like this could happen, you try to imagine something like this happening today, it'll be just out of this world. It'll be incredibly amazing. And yet that's what Jesus does. He heals this dead boy. And the, man comes, the boy comes back to life. Or the same thing with Lazarus. Lazarus is sick. And they're really worried about him. And so these sisters, they knew him. Jesus stayed with them often. He stayed with their family. And so they sent away for him. And they said quickly, Lord Jesus... Our brother is sick. Please come and please help. And Jesus knows that he's sick and he knows where it's going to go and he deliberately stays two days longer in the place where he's at. And then he, he does so. He tells his disciples up front, he says, he says, I'm doing it on purpose. He says to them, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that God may be glorified through it. Well, the sisters were devastated. Martha says to him, she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus says to her, he says, your brother will rise again. And Martha, she she immediately connects that with the resurrection at the end of time. She says, I know, Lord, like I know that. I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. And then Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection, and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I am the resurrection and the life. It's quite a statement. It's, I am the resurrection. Well, the resurrection is the raising to life. And I am the life. The life is the giving of life. It's the living of life. I am the life and the life, Christ is saying. I'm the source of life, and I am the life. And if you believe in me, then you will never die. And he had to explain that to his disciples a little earlier. He says he's, he's, he hasn't died, he's just fallen asleep. The disciples are, well, what's the big deal then? If he's just fallen asleep, then, you know, he's going to wake up again. And the Lord Jesus says, well... Yes, he has died, 
But he says, that's not the end. He's going to, to rise again. And it's a picture that the Lord Jesus is using in order to explain to every one of us the power that he has over death. Death is not the end. He says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. If you believe in me, you will never die. You'll never go through the experience of being separated from God. You'll never leave totally. You'll just fall asleep. That's the language that God uses throughout the scriptures. It's the language of sleeping. Well, if you sleep, you wake up. And so one day we go to sleep for a period of time. But God says it's not actually that you're gone. You actually instead come into the presence of God. Well, it's through the Lord Jesus that he, that he destroys the power of death. And our Lord Jesus, he gives, gives another example of that. At the very end of his life, he's on the cross. And it's when he's crucified that the scripture says, Matthew 27, 52, that at the moment of his death, many tombs were opened and many dead people came back to life. Christ is the source of life. He has overcome the curse of death. He has rescued his people and he brings them back to life again. And on the one hand, you think about that, brothers and sisters, and you could think to yourself, well, of course he could do that because he's God. He has a power over life and death because he's God. So somebody dies and they come back to life again. And he can do that whenever he wanted. But you know, it's not, it's not whenever he wanted. It's not as if he could do it, just make a statement and every dead person who's ever died just comes back to life again. Because the core issue is that death is a curse. It is the curse on sin. You sin and you die. That is, in God's justice, that's the link that he made. Sin leads to death. And because God's a just God, he doesn't break that link. He doesn't undermine that link. That link stands. Sin leads to death. He's a just God, so sin will lead to death. It will do that. And so he doesn't just override that by saying, well, I'm just going to pretend sin never happened. Or I'm just going to overcome sin and, and decide that in, in this case, in that case, in this case, sin doesn't lead to death. No, sin leads to death in every single case. You sin, you die. That's how it goes. And so how does he overcome sin? How does he overcome death? Well, the only way that happens is by bearing the curse of sin. And so God sent his son into this world and he said you need to pay for sin you need to bear the curse of sin you need to die you need to suffer my judgment against sin and that's the only way that I once again can give life to my people And you think about that you think about God being a God of life and then he condemns his son to the ultimate curse of sin, to death. The scripture says that's, that's the most profound demonstration of the love that God has for his people. He willingly made his son, he the God of life, who hates death, who's deeply opposed to death, he made his son endure that death so that he could rescue his people from the, the curse that they endure. This is the core of the gospel, brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ has overcome sin. He has overcome death. 
And he did it by bearing the curse and by rising above it. He died and he rose again. And so he secured God's blessing for all those who believe in him. One of the most surprising things is that when you read the Bible, not everyone wants to share in that life that God offers his people. You read through the scriptures and you see that the scribes and the Pharisees were deeply opposed to the Lord Jesus. They wanted to to put an end to him, to get rid of him. They didn't understand, God actually tells us about that, it's in 1 1 Corinthians 2 verse 8, they didn't understand that God set it up in such a way that through Jesus' death, that he would overcome death, that he'd overcome sin. The scripture says, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 8, that that if they had understood this, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. The spiritual hosts of darkness, the devil and his demons, they also didn't get it. They didn't understand that victory is attained through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They thought if they could just get rid of him, then it's over. Then he's done, then it's gone, and they can carry on with normal life. And so they're deeply devoted. They're doing everything in their power to eliminate Jesus Christ. And eventually, they're successful. You read about it in the last part of John 11. When the chief priests and the Pharisees hear about the resurrection of Lazarus, they're deeply frustrated and annoyed. The scripture says that at that point, they make plans in order to kill him. Well, it's quite striking. If you keep reading through the gospel, then after Jesus died, rose again, ascended into heaven, then you go on with the book of Acts, And then what happens is that the the disciples, the apostles, they start preaching about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's one of the core things that they preach about. It's about the kingdom of God and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when they start preaching about the resurrection of Christ, they, they get the same opposition from these scribes and these leaders of the Jews. Leaders of the Jews, finally they got rid of Jesus, finally they dealt with their problem. They thought now it will all go away and everything will go back to normal. But then the apostles the first thing they preach about is the resurrection of Christ. It's in Acts 4, verse 1. Peter and John, they heal this man who was sitting in front of the temple, and he, he gets up, and he, he, he was lame, and he, he gets his, his feet back, and he's walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people, there's crowds of people who come around, and they're trying to understand what's going on. And Peter preaches to them, and he tells them that, that God, Jesus Christ, has risen, and that he has authority, and that he's... He uses his power to to help his people, and he calls the people to put their faith and trust in Christ. And then the the chief priests, the scribes and the Pharisees, they get wind of this, and they they come over. It's quite striking. Acts 4 verse 1, scripture says, as they were speaking to the people, that says Peter and James were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. It's about the resurrection. And that's what made them greatly annoyed. They didn't want anyone to know about about Christ's resurrection. They wanted Christ to disappear off the scene. And so they arrested James and Peter, and they threw them into prison. And you keep reading through the book of Acts, and it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the issue that causes so much distress for other people. I'll, just, I'll use a few examples. Just near the end of the book, you come to Acts 23. Paul gives his defense against some Jews who wanted to kill him. 
When he gives this defense, then the first thing that really riled them up was when he told them that God told him to preach to the Gentiles. But then after that, it really fell apart when he told them that he believed in the resurrection. Well, they arrested him, they had him thrown into prison. Acts 24, he has to make his defense before Felix the governor. And in verse 15 there, he tells Felix, there will be a resurrection from the dead. Well, Felix doesn't know what to do with Paul, keeps him in prison, kind of hopes that he's actually going to get a bribe, that some of Paul's friends are going to bribe him to let him out. But that doesn't happen, and so Paul, he's stuck in prison for two years. And then when Felix is being done as, prison, as the, the governor there, then another guy, Festus, comes in. And so Felix says, hey, you need to, to be aware, there's this man in prison, we need to deal with him. And so Festus gets to hear about that. And then when Felix explains it, and then later on, Festus, he, he gets this case, and he is King Agrippa who comes in. And Festus goes to explain the case to King Agrippa, and what's it about? He said, well, I thought it would be other things, but he says, yeah, he says, there's this dispute that Paul has with these Jews about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserts to be alive. And so that's the core issue. Paul asserts that Jesus is alive, and that's why the Jews are so mad at him. Well, the next day, Acts 26, Paul defends his case before Agrippa. He tells him in verse 6 that the reason he's on trial is because of the hope he has. And in verse 8, he, he asks, he says, Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raised the dead? And he says, I saw him on the road to Damascus. Jesus is alive. I was converted when I, when I met with Jesus. He's real. He's powerful. He has authority. He spoke to me. And so don't be so amazed that a dead man comes to life. And then he goes on and he, he says, I was, I was faithful to him, preaching that Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim both light, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And so he says, I need to proclaim about the resurrection. And it's at that point that Festus breaks in. He says, Paul, he says, you're out of your mind. To which Paul says, no, I'm not. He says, I'm speaking true and rational words. I'm speaking boldly to the king because he knows about these things. Well, again, the emphasis here, the core issue, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And why the Jews so opposed to this resurrection? Because it threatened their position, and their power. If it's true that Jesus Christ was raised to life, then everything else that Paul said about Christ is true as well. And if everything that the apostles said is being true about Christ, then that would undermine their position and their power. The Jews had authority over the law, over the word of God. They had authority over the temple. And if Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, if he's, if he's alive, if he's the king, if the law and the temple and everything else pointed to him, then they would diminish in significance. And then the important thing would be faith in Christ as the resurrected Lord. Well, that would mean that they lose their position. And so they're deeply opposed to Christ's resurrection.
Well, the reality is, brothers and sisters, that Christ has died, and he has risen, and he is the king, and he rules on the throne, and he does it for us. Excuse me. Got a tickle in my throat. <coughs> so when you go on in the, the rest of the New Testament, then the apostles, they, they go on and they explain the, the blessing that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so one of, the, one of the main things they say is that it's through his resurrection that Christ saves us from fear of death. It's in Hebrews 2 verse 14. God says that the reason he sent his son into this world is to destroy him who has power of death, that is the devil, and to free all those who their whole lives were living in fear of death. If you talk to unbelievers, you talk to those people who who don't know Christ and who don't have a relationship with him, then sometimes they will talk to you about that. Many of them will say, like he asks them the question, you say, you know, how did you make sense of of it? You know, before you're a believer in Christ, how did you make sense of of death and what happened after death and, and what went next? A lot of people will say to you, they say, well, I never really thought about that. Or I kind of thought that it would just all be over. Or I never dwelt on that. But there is this, this implicit pushing away. But then sometimes people are forced to think about it. You have a loved one who dies. And it's in your face and it's very real. And you need to make sense of that. And how do you make sense of that? Well, a lot of people, they're quite terrified. It's quite a scary thing. It's a really difficult matter. Sometimes you talk to the nurses who work in, in the mental health ward in the hospitals. Sometimes they'll talk about that, that when you really get to know the patients who are there, then it's, it's striking how many of those people struggle with death. It's a really difficult matter for people to come to grips with. Well, the Lord Jesus, he rescues his people from that fear. He saves his people. There is no fear of death any longer for the people of God because Christ has borne the curse and he saved us from sin and he promises us that we get to share in his resurrection and so we get to to share in his life death is not the end but it is an entrance into eternal life Paul celebrates the power that Christ has over death in 1 Corinthians 15 he says Christ arose from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep you're the first one And after him, there's going to be the rest of the harvest. All those who die in Christ, they are going to be raised again. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54, the Lord encourages us to look forward to the day when death will be completely overcome. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God gives us the victory 
And so the sting of death is broken. The power of death is broken. Our Lord Jesus Christ, he gives us new hope that there will be a new life after we die. And so the Apostle Paul, he talks about it in Philippians 1.21. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is better by far. But he says, I know that for your sake, it's more necessary for me to stay behind and to do my work here. But in his heart, he's not afraid of death. He says, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. If I die, I get to go with him. I get to be with him. I get to live face to face together with him. And so he's looking forward to that new life where he lives in fellowship with his Lord. Well, the beautiful thing, brothers and sisters, is that God says to you, he says, you don't need to wait till you die to have that fellowship with your Lord. Christ has secured life for us. And the eternal life begins already now. John says, John 5, that eternal life is knowing God. It's when you know God that you get to share in his abundant life. And so the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it has a profound impact, not just for us when we die, but has a profound impact for us today already in the midst of our lives. It is when we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that at a foundational level, then sin doesn't have the final say in our lives. Christ gives us power for a new life, and he transforms our relationships. He gives you power for a life of patience and forgiveness and forbearance and reconciliation. All the things that we heard about this morning, these are the gifts of God in Christ since he's overcome the power of death. Christ transforms our approach to how we do our work. Paul says 1 Corinthians 15, he ends off in the very last verse and he says, we do our work with energy because we know that none of the things we do in this life are useless, but we do them for our Lord, with whom we have an eternity in store. And so the way we do our work and the way we approach our finances and money and investing, it's transformed through the knowledge of the resurrection. As those who share in a heavenly kingdom, we don't lay up treasure for ourselves here in this earth, but we hold on to the things of this world lightly instead of being caught up for them. The resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ has a great impact on the way that we handle ourselves sexually. We understand that the Lord calls us to purity. He calls us to chastity. He calls us to live holy lives. As those who believe that there is a resurrection of the body, there is an eternal life in store for us, we seek to honor our Lord. We seek to share in the purity that he secured for us. As those who believe in the resurrection of Jesus' life, we live a life of service. We understand that none of our deeds are meaningless, but that the Lord Jesus Christ has called us, together with him, to a life of service of those around us. And so we seek to honor him by being a blessing for those around us. The fact is, brothers and sisters, that the resurrection changes everything. We know God, and we're invited to live in the abundant life that God gives to his people. And so by looking to faith in Christ, we are saved from our sins. And we're saved from the curse of sin. And our, li- our lives here are transformed so that we live to the glory of God who has an eternity with him in store for us. Amen.
Well, let's sing of the, the beautiful future in store for us. We're going to sing from hymn 67, the verses 1, 3, 4, 5, and 7. Let's now call upon the Lord in thanksgiving and prayer. 
In our prayer this afternoon, we'll also remember Sister Sue Bonker. She celebrated her 80th birthday this past week. So we'll pray that God continues to sustain her. And also this coming week, her sister Marta Scroof will celebrate her birthday as well. So let's bring these sisters before God in prayer. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus Christ into this world to bear our curse on sin. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are willing to bear this curse for us. We honor you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you love us, that you wish to to extend life to us, wish to restore us to relationship with you, where we can live in intimate fellowship with you, where we get to know you, where we get to love you, where we get to walk with you. Father, we humble ourselves before you. At Adam, we sinned against you. We rebelled against the command that you gave. That's a pattern that's continued through our lives. So often we sin against you. In the conscious decisions we make, we often choose to do evil. We know it's wrong. We know it's displeasing to you. We know we shouldn't do it, and yet we still do. And Lord, that's, that's a terrible thing. What we really do there is, is we incur your wrath, your judgment. And then when we humble ourselves, and when we seek your face, and when we ask for your grace, when we're sorry for what we've done, then you have to punish our Lord Jesus for the things that we did wrong. And Lord, that, that saddens us deeply, and we're sorry to you, and we repent of our sin. We repent that we've done these things. And we're grieved about the, the punishment that you had to, to pour out on your son to pay for our sins. And so we thank you for your grace in Christ. We thank you that you love us enough to do that, even though we don't deserve it. And we pray, Father, that you help us to live out of that. Help us to hate sin and help us to love you. Help us to realize that you are the God of abundant life. You love to, to give life, a rich and a full and abundant life together with you. You love to invite us into your presence. You love to reveal yourself to us. The more we seek you and the closer we walk with you, the more you reveal yourself to us and the more you, you draw us to you. Draw near to me, you say, and I will draw near to you. And so we pray then, Father, that you would help us with that, that you give us your Holy Spirit, that we may draw near to you, and that you'd indeed reveal yourself to us. Father, thank you for, for bearing with us. Thank you for your patience in Christ. And thank you that, you that you hold on. We ask then, Lord, that, that you would help us to also live out of this, this knowledge of the, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus, help us to believe that sin doesn't have the final say in our lives. Sometimes we really struggle with that when we see how powerful it is within us. Help us to trust that, that you will continue with us for the sake of your covenant and for the sake of your promises and for the sake of your name and for the sake of your son. And help us, Lord, to, to also draw near to you and to, to love you for what you've done. And then, Lord, we also pray that you would comfort us when we come near to death Sometimes it happens that, that those who are dear to us, they, they get really sick, and the time comes where, where you draw them home to yourself. It's such a painful process for us, Lord. When we love each other, then, then losing the other is, is such a hard thing. And there are so many people in our congregation who are yet grieving the loss of loved ones. And we pray, Father, that you would comfort them, that you comfort them with the promise of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that you comfort them with the knowledge that our loved ones are not dead, they're not gone, 
but they've gone ahead. They're with you. They're alive. They're in heaven. You've taken them to be with you, and the day is coming where we'll be together with them once again. Lord, we pray that you would comfort us with the knowledge that our loved ones are, are crying under the altar. How long, O Lord, until you return and judge the earth? So just as we pray, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, they're also praying, come Lord Jesus. And so we are bound together by your spirit who leads both of us to look forward to the great day. And Father, we, we can't wait for that day. That's when Christ will, will show who he is and the whole world will get to see him. And we'll see how great he is and what he's done for us and how rich it is to live with him. And we'll come to be with you in a world where there will be no more sin where we'll see you face to face and we'll live in intimate fellowship together with you. Please preserve us for that day. Please make us ready. Grant that we may live our lives in intimate fellowship with you and that the knowledge of the resurrection of, of our Lord Jesus Christ may impact everything that we do. Dear Father in heaven, we also pray that you care for us in the current circumstance of our lives. You know each one of us. You know where we're at and you know the things that we're busy with. Please help us, Lord, to, to bring these things to you and to be busy with these things for you. I want to thank you for the birthdays of some of the sisters in our congregation. This past week, our sister Bonker celebrated her 80th birthday. Father, thank you for preserving our sister. Thank you that you are her father. Sometimes she, she's forgetful, and yet, and sometimes she can't say the things that she wants to say. And yet you are her father, and you know her, and you love her, and you hold on to her. And we thank you for that. And we pray for your continued blessing over her. We also think of our sister Marta Scoof who has a birthday later this week. And, and again, we pray that you would hold on to her and that you be near to her. Give her relief from the pain that she experiences and give her endurance in the midst of it. And we're so thankful for the great faith that she has in you, that she trusts you and she's secure in your love towards her. Please grant her joy in celebrating her birthday as well. And, and please grant, Lord, that it may well go well for her and her husband and for their family and, and surround them with your care. Father in heaven, we also want to pray for, for Brother Dathan Plater. We're so thankful that this past week that he could sustain his, his class exam, that he's eligible for calling the churches. And we pray, Lord, that you would please open the way for him to receive a call from the church and that he can make decisions. If he has more than one call, then he can decide where to go and that he's able to do that and, and honor you. Grant that he's able to take up service in ministry before you that he's able to love your people and to faithfully proclaim your word to your people. Please shine your face upon him and Katrina. Bless their, their son as well and grant that it may go well for them in every way. And then, Father, we also wish to ask you that you also be with myself as I make a decision about the calls extended to me. Thank you, Lord, for all the love from the congregation here in Southern River. Thank you for the, for the relationship that we may have. And thank you for the joy that we get to have in fellowship with one another. What a special service this morning. And and what a gift again this afternoon, that as your people, we can submit ourselves to your word. Thank you for, for bringing us together, and thank you for this, this gift in Christ. Would we also pray for, for the other churches, for Cardiff, Brook, and for Albany, only to make a good decision. And grant, Lord, that in making decision, grant that, that I may seek to honor you first and foremost. I can seek to, to honor the, the, the calling that you give, and that, that the, the first motive is one of seeking to serve you and to, to be true to you. And then within that context, Lord, help me to make a good decision. A decision that also is a blessing for our family, a decision that's, that's a blessing for all your people. 
thank you that you are the one who, who leads and guides, and that at the end of the day, that you will guide our lives in the way that you, do, that you will. We're secure in your love and your care for us. Father, we also wish to ask as well that you please accept the thank offerings that we bring to you on this day. Thank you that we could have a collection for the mission work this morning and again this afternoon for the Indonesian churches. We're so thankful, Lord, to, to support your church around this world, wherever that's needed. And we pray for your blessing for your people in all sorts of different places. We also want to remember, Father, I want to ask you to, to give a blessing to those in our congregation who have special needs. We have some members of our church who, who have different needs. They, they're your special people, and we thank you for that. We want to pray that you, you smile, your, you look upon them, that you may smile upon them, and that your face may shine on them, and that you uphold them and you bless them in their lives. Thank you, Lord, for the faith that you give. And thank you for, for holding on to your people. And we pray that you would encourage and, and build them up, that you help them to deal with any struggles or, or limitations that they face, and that you give them a rich measure of the peace of Christ. Please also be with their families, Lord, and we pray that you would help their families to provide the care that's needed. It's often an extra responsibility, and so we pray for an extra measure of your grace to do that. And we also pray, Lord, that you please bless us as we cooperate together in supporting those who have special needs. Really grateful for Eucalypt and for the work being done at worthy hands. We're thankful that we can cooperate together in assisting those who have special needs. And we want to pray for your blessing over these organizations. We want to ask, Father, that, that a eucalypt that it may go well, that you provide the necessary carers who are able to provide assistance for our members. Please grant that, that you would be with the board and that you help them in, in running the home and in caring for the people. Help them in the, the efforts they make to secure help for the residents, and please grant your blessing upon them. Grant that the board can make good decisions and that, that they're able to have good oversight and that they may continue to provide good care for the members. Thank you so much, Lord, that we get to cooperate together in this. And we pray for your blessing upon it. And that we, we trust you to also use this to, to help the, the special people within our church. Lord, give us a heart for the, the people who need you, for those who are weak and vulnerable, for those who have special needs, for those who suffer, for those who have a lot of pain in their lives, or those who, who struggle with mental health difficulties. Please surround your people with your care, and please comfort us with your spirit. Thank you, Lord, that we can bring all these things to you. Please hear us, and please do it for Jesus' sake. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, this afternoon you have the opportunity to give your thank offerings to the Lord. The collection this afternoon is for the work of the Indonesian churches. In connection with that, I'd like just to read one passage in Scripture. It is in Proverbs 3. There the Lord calls us to, to be faithful in giving our gifts to him. It's Proverbs 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. And the Lord also, he attaches a blessing to that. He continues in the next verse. He says, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Well, you have the opportunity to honor the Lord with your wealth. And thereafter, we're going to sing in closing from hymn 31, the verses 1 and 2.
receive now the blessing of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.